Okay, I'm going to carry on from something I spoke about, I think it is now three weeks ago. Um, we looked at the story of Barnabas. Remember that? Where? Good, good, good. So we sh- I shared the first part of the story about Barnabas, who was one of the early leaders in the early, or one of the leaders in the early church. And if you remember, we spoke about how he's known for being a, a, an encourager. He was given, his name's actually Joseph, but he was nicknamed Barnabas because that name means son of encouragement. So he's primarily known for being an encourager, but we also found out that he was a, a man of generosity. He sold an entire field, gave all the money that he got from that field into the, the work of the church for the kingdom of God. And then we saw him also taking a huge risk on giving someone a second chance. So the story where Saul has his Damascus Road experience um, after he's been like the chief persecutor of Christians in the early church, and then Saul becomes a Christian himself. He tries to join the disciples in Jerusalem, and none of the disciples really wanted to be hanging around with Saul because this is a guy who'd been killing and setting other people up to kill Christians. So you can understand that they were a bit wary about bringing this guy in. But Barnabas takes a risk he goes to meet Paul, listens to his story, and he brings him to the other disciples to, to, to bring him into the fold of the church. So we realize like, that Barnabas is an encourager, he's generous, and he's a risk taker. Yeah, so that's kind of where we, where we landed. And you know, we, we were reminded as well that if, if Saul had been pretending to be a new convert of Jesus, and he was actually there to infiltrate the church and the early Christians, then you can see the level of risk that Barnabas took on him. But we know that that risk became a good one because Saul, who became known as Paul, becomes very important in the spread of the gospel and in our Bibles because he wrote a vast chunk of the New Testament. And we're going to focus a bit on this about Barnabas' risk-taking today because I love the fact that Barnabas took a risk to believe in someone that everyone else had given up on or took a risk in someone that everyone else was kind of suspicious of. And we look at the results. We can see the results of Paul's life because of that risk. Barnabas took a risk to love someone that everyone else was afraid of. I think that's a fantastic example of what we're striving to be as a church. We don't want to just be welcoming in people who are like us or who have got it together. In fact, as I look around the room, we are a bunch of people who certainly don't have it all together, are we? Right? But why would we want to be? Right? If we think we've got it all together, it's not real, is it? It's not real. And I think that this example of Barnabas is what we're striving to be as a church, because Barnabas chooses to take a risk to, to get to know a person, puts other relationships on the line, and, and over other consideration, even his own safety, for his belief in this person that he believes God has called into something amazing. And see, for every one of you this morning, like God has got a calling in your life to do something for him, in fact, to do many things for him. And it's not just these big names in the Bible, the Barnabases, the Pauls, the Silases, you know, that, that had a call in their life. It wasn't just for the apostles. God has called you to do something significant for him in these days, in this time, in the sphere of influence that you have. 
Yeah, do you believe that? Are you excited about that? Good. Do you want to inform your face and your disposition (laughs) that you're excited? That is amazing. Like, God has called us to do something for him in these times, in these days. Yeah? Right? Being a follower of Jesus is not passive. It's not a spectator sport. It's one where we get involved and get our hands dirty. And Barnabas knew that, and that's why he took this risk on Paul. So let's jump back into the story where we're at. The last part of the story we looked at a few weeks ago um, was how sort of five or six years after Saul was welcomed into the, the group of apostles by Barnabas, Saul's gone back to Antioch, his hometown, um, and Barnabas has gone out to, to look for him so that he can um, join him in his ministry. So it says this in Acts eleven twenty five. Barnabas went to Tarsus, Sorry, I got that wrong. I said Antioch. He went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. So here, in this moment, we have the beginning of the fulfillment of the prophecy or the command that Jesus gave that the gospel would be spread throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is now Barnabas and Saul taking the gospel of Jesus further afield out to the wider world. And it says this in Acts 13, the congregation in Antioch was blessed with a number of prophet preachers and teachers. Barnabas, Simon, Lucius, Manian, and Saul. And it said, one day as they were worshiping God, they were also fasting as they waited for guidance and the Holy Spirit spoke. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks, actually, how we hear from the Holy Spirit. Because when you look at the story of the apostles of the book of Acts, they did things through hearing from God. They weren't just setting up structures and strategy and looking for the best thing to do. They were, they were actively praying, fasting, waiting on God to hear from the Holy Spirit. Anyway, so the Holy Spirit spoke and he said, take Barnabas and Saul and commission them for the work I have called them to do. So they commissioned them, and in that circle of intensity and obedience of fasting and praying, they laid hands on their heads and sent them off. Now, there is a whole study here on who these leaders are, what they were spending their time doing and seeking God, and how they listened to the Holy Spirit. And also how they gladly sacrificed two of their best people to leave what they were doing and send them out to go and spread the gospel elsewhere. But we'll save that for another time. But this is the very beginning of the missionary movement, the missions of Saul and Barnabas. And in the the scriptures, they're referred to as Barnabas and Saul. And and many Bible scholars see that the word in there has been significant, that Barnabas' name comes first before Saul. Um, Because although Saul becomes, or Saul who becomes Paul, becomes the dominant character in the New Testament, in this situation, Barnabas is the lead guy. Barnabas, remember, is the guy who's went to find Saul slash Paul and mentored them, taught them, and took him into mission with him. So although we talk about uh, Paul's missionary journeys, the, the evidence from this passage is that it's Barnabas who takes the lead at the beginning um, of these, these journeys. 
and that does change as time goes on. We'll, we'll, we'll see that in a wee minute. But it does fit well, doesn't it, with the picture of Barnabas looking out or seeking out Saul, bringing him to Antioch, involving him in his ministry, teaching and mentoring him, working beside him, and now they're both sent out by the Holy Spirit to new places and they go, they go together. So the passage continues, Acts 13 says, So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. And there in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. So kind of out of the blue here, we're introduced to a new character, a new person, someone called, called John Mark. So we need to find out who this is. Can I just suggest something when you're reading the Bible and you're reading through particularly like the New Testament and Acts and names pop up, try and find some time to go and research who these people are. Because actually sometimes you have people and they're just mentioned fleetingly one, two, three times um, in the New Testament, but they've actually got a very significant story to tell that we can, um, it can very much relate to us. So... To figure out who this guy John Mark is, we have to skip back one chapter to chapter 12. And um, the backdrop here is that Barnabas and Saul had taken a gift of money from the church in Antioch and they'd brought it to the church in Jerusalem to help with a, to help with a famine. And while they're there, the apostle Peter gets thrown into prison and then you know that story, he's miraculously released from the prison um, he's let out by an angel. And then in verse 12 of Acts 12, it says, he went to the home, this is Peter, went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. So most likely this home where we, we find John Mark, the, uh, or his mother's home, um, it's, a, it's a place where the church would have met, I reckon, in, in a sort of secret underground type of way because there was loads of persecution um, in Jerusalem at the time. And this is where John Mark lived. And right at the end of the story, in verse 12, it says this, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they returned, taking John Mark with them. So we know that John Mark was part of the early church. He was known as Barnabas and Saul. And we learn another piece of information about John Mark in Galatians 4. And... It says this, Galatians 4 verse 10, it says, Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. So Bar uh, Mark, John Mark, is also a family member of Barnabas. It says it's his cousin, but when we translate the word in the original, it could actually also mean nephew, which makes more sense in the sense of like, John Mark's a younger guy or a junior person at this, and he's been mentored by Barnabas. But either way, there's a family connection. So we'll, do, we'll leave it at that, to the family connection. But if we get back to Barnabas, we'll come back to John Markin again. So back to Barnabas. So Barnabas and Saul head out in their journey. And this time they've got John Mark with them. And they have an incredible season of ministry. When we, you read through Acts 13 and 14, it sums up um, a description of that journey and all the amazing things that God did during that time of mission. And it says in Acts 14.26, they returned by ship to Antioch of Syria where their journey had begun. The believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work they had now completed. 
Now, that word completed um, means more than just completing the work. It means like done in full. The, the message version of the Bible actually describes that as a good piece of work. So they'd gone out and done a good piece of work. It'd been a very successful mission, a very successful trip. But here's what happens. You know, right after a season of strong ministry, things start to go wrong. In chapter 15 of Acts, we find that an internal controversy springs up um, in the church. The Jewish Christians um, are responding to all these new Gentile or non-Jewish converts coming into the church. And they want to kind of force them to become circumcised, essentially requiring them to convert to Judaism um, if they want to believe in Jesus. And there's a conflict here between um, some of the apostles about what's the right thing to do. And in Acts 15.1, it says that while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers. And they said, unless you're circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Okay, so this is a, a strong disagreement. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. So what happens here is the leaders come to meet in Jerusalem. They come to um, some conclusions. And that whole story, I would say again, go back and read that um, in Acts 15. But this debate um, seems to have continued for, for months, if not in a, a year or two. They're, they're questioning what does it mean to be a, a, a Gentile, a non-Jewish believer, um, as compared to people who were already Jews converting to Christianity. And Paul actually mentions this very issue in Galatians 2 where we see another part of Barnabas' character. Galatians 2.11 says that when Peter came to Antioch, this is Paul speaking, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. More conflict. When he first arrived, talking about Paul, uh, talking about Peter, he says he ate with Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't, wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Changed his behavior. He was afraid of criticism from those people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. The reason I want to include this passage in the story of Barnabas is that um, Barnabas was a great leader, a great mentor. He did amazing things. He, he took risks in people. He was generous. But he wasn't perfect. Okay, so here's a newsflash. Sometimes leaders get things wrong. I know. I know. Sometimes leaders get things wrong. Because although Barnabas spent so much of his life in ministry, both to the Jews and the Gentiles, he got caught up in this debate. And, and Paul describes that his behavior was hypocritical because he'd done one thing in one setting and another thing in another. And this controversy and this disagreement between Barnabas and Paul carries on. And, and what happens next, we see in chapter 15, 36, it said, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. 
And Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. So here comes John Mark back into the story. But Paul disagreed strongly. So here we've got another disagreement because John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. Quick point there. Barnabas and Saul came to a disagreement, a part of the ways. This is important. It did not stop the spread of the gospel. It did not stop the spread of the gospel. Although they separated, they stayed committed to the calling of God and God in their lives and didn't, from what appears here, dwell in the conflict, but went and just said, let's just separate, let's go after what God has called us to do. And sometimes even in our disagreement and in our controversy, right, we can choose to put God first. Even if we can't settle the disagreement, the mission of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ is more important than our personal agenda or point scoring or try to prove ourselves right. Yeah? yeah? Right? The gospel is the important thing. And this actually, sadly in one sense, because if we see the partner ways of Barnabas and Saul, that's actually the last mention we have of Barnabas in the book of Acts because from this point on, the story of Acts follows Paul's journeys um, and missions from that point on. So what's going on here? What has been going on here between Barnabas and Paul? Well, clearly John Mark is the issue of contention between them. So John Mark hadn't lasted on a previous journey. It says, Scripture says that he had deserted them early in that trip. Now, we've got no information about what that was. Um, if I'm thinking the best of John Mark, I'm thinking maybe he had other things going on in his life and he was distracted or maybe he had a family emergency. Maybe he just had become a bit disillusioned. Maybe he was tired. We just don't know. But we know that he didn't complete what he'd committed himself to and Paul was not happy with John Mark. In fact, we see... Um, Paul being continually upset about it because he refuses to take Mark along. And then that's when he read that the disagreement over John Mark was so sharp that they separated. I think this disagreement between Barnabas and Paul is important because I feel it's the same, or it's on the same kind of lines we saw many years earlier when Barnabas was the only person willing to take a risk on Paul. And now Barnabas wants to take a risk on another person. But Paul, who has been the recipient of Barnabas' generosity and risk-taking, now doesn't want to um, reciprocate that with John Mark. And he believes so strongly, Barnabas, this is, believes so strongly in giving John Mark another chance that he parts ways with a man that he had brought into ministry, who he had mentored and journeyed with, who they had story upon story upon story of seeing God move in amazing and miraculous ways. He'd been persecuted with Paul. They'd celebrated things. They'd shared life together. But they part company because Barnabas once again is 
determined to take a chance on someone else. I just love that about his character, don't you? That he would put everything out there for someone else. And we know from what we've seen already that Mark was, was likely younger than Barnabas and Paul. And so there's one more part to this confrontation that, that I, I want to kind of bring out. I think that Barnabas has got a heart for passing on leadership and training to a new generation of leaders. I think that Barnabas has that heart. And, and when I look at that heart of Barnabas and the way that he's driven and motivated by that, again, this is what I see in the vineyard. This is one of the, the key foundations of the vineyard. It's about raising up new leaders, not resting on our laurels, not being satisfied with what we have, but looking out to see who's next, who's coming behind us, where's the potential. And I want us to be a church that does that. I want us to be a church who finds, takes risks with people, sees potential, prays fast and waits in God. To, to hear the Holy Spirit tell them what is the calling of God in that person's life and then giving them space and giving them an opportunity to, to go towards that. And as um, the, the believers in Antioch did, they released Paul and Barnabas, who probably were their two key people. They released them and let them go. And, you know, and I think if we're going to see the church of Jesus Christ grow in this country. Churches have to be prepared to let their best people go. Let them go and release them and spread the good news of Jesus. We want to pass on leadership and training to a new generation of leaders the same way as Barnabas did. If I can speculate a wee bit here, I think that most of the early Christians in those days, believed that Jesus was going to return within their lifetime. That in a, not in a bad way, but they had a kind of short-sightedness in terms of they felt that Jesus was going to come back very quickly. But I wonder, like, was Barnabas so in tune with God and the Holy Spirit that he could see ahead and he had a longer-term plan? Maybe he was thinking, what if Jesus doesn't come back as quickly as we think? Like, we kind of let this thing just burn out and die with the people who were there at the beginning. We need to raise up new people to carry on for this generation and the next and the one after. And I believe that Barnabas has set a pattern of what the church is. That's why the church has survived for so long because Barnabas saw that. He saw he had to keep bringing new people to the front, to the front so that they can, um, that the church continues. I think he was a bit cutting edge. I think he was thinking things that other people weren't thinking. And he was willing, willing to invest in Self again and again in training up young and potentially powerful leaders. The last part of the story of Barnabas actually doesn't even mention him. Well, this, is, this is what I believe is the last part of the story of Barnabas. Many years later on, Paul is writing to a young leader that he had raised up called Timothy. Paul actually went on to follow the pattern of Barnabas by raising up young leaders like Timothy and Titus, um, who we know about because Paul wrote letters to them. And it's near the end of Paul's life, and he's writing a very personal letter to Timothy. And sandwiched in at the end, amongst a bunch of 
greetings and personal instructions as he's closing off his letter is a little verse right near the end of 2 Timothy 4 uh, in verse 9. And Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me. There's another one. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come. For he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Sorry, I can't read that without breaking up. See, this is the last part of the story of Barnabas. Paul saying, bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Barnabas has successfully mentored Mark. He's turned him around. Mark has proved himself loyal, faithful, and worthwhile, even in Paul's eyes. And as a result of Barnabas believing in Mark, Paul and Mark are reconciled and once again working together for the kingdom of God. Fantastic, isn't it? I love that. You see, when it boils down to it, we're all on the same side. We're all on the same side. Barnabas had a real talent for seeing the gifting and calling on people's lives. He took risks with people. He took a massive risk with Saul. But if he hadn't taken that risk with Saul... What would have happened to the church? Like Paul was the tip of the spear of the gospel. That's who God had called to be the guy who was going to be there at the forefront, like making his way through different nations. What would have happened to the New Testament if Barnabas hadn't taken that risk on Saul? He took a risk with John Mark in the same way as he risked his relationship with the other apostles when he brought Saul into their midst, he took a risk with John Mark that damaged his friendship with Paul because he believed so strongly in John Mark. And do you know who John Mark is? John Mark is Mark, as in Mark's gospel. John Mark wrote the gospel of Mark. So again, we see Barnabas seeing more in the person than just what's in front of him. He sees the potential, the gifting, the calling, and the Holy Spirit on his life. 